What am I doing in here? I need to look through your bag. Why? Don't worry, you're not being singled out. I look through everyone's bag. It's procedure. That's my stuff. It's at this point you say, no, you don't get to look into my bag. You don't get to do anything. This is the point where you say, I think I'm going to leave now, regardless of what you want, because you get to do that. Welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and we've got a solo episode for you today. So it's just going to be me talking about a movie that I saw f- a couple of weeks ago and really, really need to talk about, really, really need to talk about because um, it was insane. How unsane. Get it? See what I did there? It was a movie called Unsane. <laughs> I know. Uh, so anyways, we're going to be talking about Unsane in this episode. Well, I'm going to be talking about Unsane in this episode. I uh, will jump into it in just a minute. But what I first want to talk about here at the top of the show is some good news for the podcast. Some great news for the podcast. So this next year of the podcast. So I, I I will say that we can say that it is, even though it is a 2021 uh kind of thing, it it does it does carry us through to uh mid-2022. So what I'm talking about is amazing, amazing. The podcast was uh just awarded a grant from the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, STP, which is an organization that you hear about a lot on this show because that is the organization that I am, the the professional organization that I am a member of. uh, And uh, if you are a teacher of psychology and you are not a member of that uh, organization, then I do strongly recommend. It's $25 a year. Uh, APA Division 2, and so you could be a a member of APA at the same time. But in any case, uh, we were awarded a small partnerships grant for the work that we do and have done on this show. Really awesome. We were just awarded it in uh, the early part of last month. And, you know, it's 
it's really awesome because I, I put the put put the uh, time and energy into uh, writing a proposal and uh, I was recognized. It's not full on sponsorship, but it is enough to get us uh, making our hosting payments on Podbean and the website hosting. All of that is going to be taken care of this year by this small partnership grant. And I used that energy to reach out to a, a, a bunch of new uh, a bunch of new people that will be appearing on the show uh, in the coming months. And, uh, and and so I'm super excited about what this next year has in store. I mean, we're not, not yet at the two-year mark. That'll be in July of the show. Um, but we are going to be moving forward. A bunch of, like I said, a bunch of new names. Uh, a bunch of returning, uh, a bunch of returning guest hosts will also be on the show. So keep an ear out for that because I'm super excited where the show is going now that we've gotten, you know, a little bit of an oomph from various, uh, from various places, from STP and the Small Partnerships Grant and the the advertising that sort of goes into that on their website, and um, you know the continued advertising that I will be continuing to do uh, on social media and uh, in various places like that. Uh, I think by the time I'm a mid-career psychologist, my goal is to be the film guy is to be the film inside guy. I think that's uh I think that's the worthy goal and that's the goal we're going to shoot for. Okay, so this movie, this movie Unsane. I'll talk about where I got uh this movie in my on my radar here in just a second, but uh just to give you a little bit of a background because it's an indie-ish film. Uh, is directed by Steven Soderbergh, so not super indie in the sense that like this is a no-name director or anything like that. Matt Damon makes a cameo because you know he's good friends with Steven, <laughs> so I thought that was I thought when I saw that I thought that was hilarious. Spoiler alert for your cameo watchers over here. But the film uh, stars uh, Claire Foy, uh, who is probably best known for her first two seasons appearance as a starring appearance as Queen Elizabeth II in The Crown. Joshua Leonard is the other main character. And then there's a few other people here and there that have bit roles, uh, some, some odd acting choices. Jay Farrow's in it. Uh, he meets an untimely demise, which is uh, unfortunate because uh, I do like Jay Farrow and I do like how he um, approached this role. Uh, Amy Irving's in it as well, um, plays Claire Foy's mother as a character but really the the majority of the film centers around Claire Foy I would say more than 50% of the shots in this movie were um uh were tights but tights shots on Claire Foy's face uh in various various angles and I'll I'll talk about those angles in, in a little bit so um Claire Foy just a brief plot outline here Claire Foy um is uh at some sort of um white collar mid-level executive 
who by the end of the movie becomes like the executive with an assistant. But in this case, she's just a mid-level office very job. I don't know exactly what she is. But um, she goes and sees a counselor uh, because she is having recurring um, hallucinations of a man, guy that we are told is stalking her. We learn about all of this within like the first five minutes of the film. It's not a very long film, by the way. It's only an hour and 38 minutes. And so she's uh, she sees this counselor and they take her uh, into what appears to be a psychiatric halt because she mentions that um, she mentions that she's depressed and um, she mentions some inkling of thoughts of suicide. And so they because she says that and they record that down, she gets put into the psychiatric hold. Um, but nothing's being told to her in that case. Nothing is um, indicated that this is what is going on. The orderlies and the nurses at this facility essentially just shepherd her from one place to the next. And she is completely uh, left in the dark. So are you Valentini? Yeah. I'm Dennis. Please follow me. Look, look I, I don't have a lot of time. I, I should be back at work, so... your bag why don't worry you're not being singled out I look through everyone's bag it's procedure Good afternoon, I'm Nurse Bowles. Can you strip down to your underwear for me? Please, take off your clothes down to your underwear and remove all your jewelry. Do you understand? If you need help removing your clothes. What? To check for identifying marks. Scars, birthmarks, moles. It's to protect you, the other patients, and the hospital. But I'm not sure what's happening here. I, uh... The nursing assessment includes a head-to-toe skin examination. It's a hospital-wide policy. There's nothing invasive about it. Look, I have to go. I'm going to be late for work, so. The door's locked. For your privacy, I need you to take off your clothes down to your underwear and remove all your jewelry. There's nothing wrong with me. I just needed to talk to someone, and the counselor said that I... Did she tell you to do this? Miss Valentini, are you refusing to cooperate? What happens if I do? 
It would be better for everyone, but especially yourself, if you just do as I ask. And it turns out this place is a a group psychiatric facility uh, for various types of uh, various types of of psychiatric illnesses. Uh, but it's a group home with a group uh, with a group setting, uh, group sleeping situation. So this group facility. Um, doesn't uh, have much in the way of activities. They all sleep in one lar- large room. Um, they do group therapy, but then uh, they do group cafeteria, but then there's really nothing else left to do. Uh, and once once Claire Foy's character, Sawyer, figures out that she's being held, she tries to call the police. The police come and they review that they that she voluntarily signed a release. However, when she signs the release, she does not know what she is signing. They do not tell her what she is signing. Turns out it's not an involuntarily involuntary hold. It's a voluntary hold. <laughs> this is this is the shadiest part of the film. So before we even get into the psychology of this, um, I want to mention where I came uh, to this, where I came into this film. I was looking for a film to show my um, Psych 101, my Gen Psych, my Intro Psych students, um, a psychopathology film. And I came across this because uh, I was going to be doing a Twitch watch party. Now, if you're not familiar with my Twitch, um, twitch.tv account, I stream every weekend uh, and and prior to the end of the semester, I was, you know, streaming a class here or there and and um, I did this optional watch party because you have to have Prime to uh, join in watch party with my commentary off to the side. Um, and so it had to be on Prime. So this was available on Prime in in um, th- this month in, in May 2021. So I, I saw it. I looked at the trailer and I was like, wow, this is actually really nice. I like this um, because it's new. It's recent. Came out in 2018. Um, you know, there's there's not much to it. And I was like, hmm, with the psych aspect, they're kind of making it this uh, situation of is she actually psychotic or not? And I say psychotic in the in the um, psychopathological uh, sense, where it's just like, is she suffering from hallucinations and delusions and she should be in this home or is there something other, some other outside force that is um, keeping her there? And so um, we watched it. Uh, I I enjoyed it. The uh, the overall take on it is sort of better than mediocre, better than average. It's not like a, an amazing film uh, on psychopathology. There's far better ones. Of course, but um, it was it was it was decent. It was nice. I I um would I think I would use it in a class if um you know once once pandemic things get back to normal. I think I would use it in a class. You know to to sort of uh, balance out some of the psychopathology movies that I've used in the past that explored different that explored different uh 
disorders and that sort of thing. But this one has the, uh, another layer to it that I really like. That layer um, is the whole healthcare uh, aspect to this, right? So patients' rights kind of issue and um, insurance and all of that. Of course, this is uh, <laughs> this thriller aspect of the movie is the psychological thriller aspect of the movie is like really U.S. American. Um, it wouldn't work in a country that has some sort of universal health care, some single payer system, because I don't think you would see it. And that <laughs> that has to do with the aspect of the plot that is also anti-insurance and anti um uh, uh insurance payments and and private organizations that uh work to um uh, rig the system to their benefit the idea here is that they don't th th this behavioral center this private um i guess for profit behavioral center doesn't really tell their patients um, what it is that they're being, um, quote unquote, committed for. Uh, they're just like, here, sign this. This is the paperwork. And they essentially funnel people into their their situation. And so because they end up signing a voluntary release for being committed, then um, they are not breaking the law by holding you against your will. However, it, the vast majority of states, I believe, it's hard finding uh, uh, a direct answer for anything beyond state because I think this is like a state law versus a federal law here in the United States. But even though uh, Claire Foy signed a voluntary commitment and there's probably fine print that uh, there's uh, a time, uh, time limit or uh, likely to be a situation where um, – you know, there are restrictions for request, requesting to leave. But overall, I think it's important to identify where the movie ignores some real life stuff to get to the, uh, we'll call it uh, drama. So the first thing I want to mention here is uh, the fact that um, you know, Claire Foy finds herself in this uh, involuntary, voluntary situation that um, she wants to get out of. And the movie, for the, I guess the sake of drama, for the sake of the thriller uh, aspect, they sort of dance around the fact that she could leave uh, upon request when she asked for it. Now, it appears that she can't do anything about it. But in all actuality, you know, she could request to leave and she could write a, you know, argue for discharge. And, um, you know, the, even though the doctor's like, eh, you should probably stay, you know, you kind of said that you wanted to kill yourself and you think that you have um, an issue. So uh, maybe you should stay. And honestly, if she said to the doctor at that point, no, I, 
I think I should be able to leave and you should let me leave, then she does get the fair uh, shake to leave. Like, there's no reason she shouldn't be allowed to leave unless, unless the organization wants her to stay. And that's what we come to find out. This behavioral health center was doing something super shady. You come to find out that um, they were keeping people there in an effort to milk all the insurance money out of them. And as soon as the insurance company says, oh, no, we're not going to pay for them anymore, that's when this behavioral health clinic is going, bye. So they keep people there, medicate them, and then they get to then they send them out when they're no longer uh, profitable. <sighs> this is rough, but this allows the other aspect of the movie to play out. So it's 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 in, it's in service to the rest of the plot. It's uh you know pretty dastardly uh on its own which is super rough because you know these these patients don't get to have their phones they get to make one phone call uh you know every x number of of days or whatever um you know so claire foy makes her first phone call to the police and that doesn't really play out and then there's this uh exchange between the officers and the woman at the front desk um suggesting that the police ha come there often they they come there often and um you know uh, it's when the police come often to a place where uh people are calling saying i'm being held against my will then you kind of have to look at the place that's being um call that the, the place where all these calls are coming from and i i don't think the police should get it get to go mm, no i don't think there's a problem here let's just look at the release forms like no you need to get somebody to come and investigate this person and luckily jay farrow's character in this movie his main goal is to make sure that the all of the shady stuff that happens at this place um, gets uh, beat down. And, and at the end of the movie, you find that out. But I want to be clear and say state that even though you do have, um, uh, you know, you could be tricked into signing a voluntary uh, waiver, you any organization does not um, get a uh, get to control. Now, this is different to uh, an involuntary hold which can only be placed on somebody for a maximum a set of hours so i believe the state that i am in 72 hours is the maximum amount of involuntary hold and this is only supposed to be used in situations where somebody is an immediate danger to themselves or to uh, others and so you cannot force somebody to stay um, in any one place, hospital or otherwise, whether the hospital has a, a uh, psychiatric ward or several psychiatric wards or a behavioral health place like this, you cannot be forced to say longer than a certain amount of time. And even after that time has passed and you are being held, 
you cannot be held further, even though doctors do have this uh, a 72 hour window to respond to any request for discharge. You still can't be held um, against your will beyond that first involuntary hold. Now, in Claire Foy's case, uh, in, in, in her character Sawyer's case, um, she uh, is 100% there voluntarily from the beginning, but she is consistently convinced to stay over and over and over again by the health administrator, by the psychiatrist uh, attending in charge, by the nurses... Uh, she's consistently convinced, and even when she finally gets a chance to call her mom and have her help her get out, her mom comes and talks to the administrators and talks to the doctors, and they convince her, the mother, to make her stay. Uh, and uh, again, with the clear intent that we find out later in the movie, that this is all sort of an insurance scam by the administrators uh, of this behavioral health place, and that there's really no actual um, helping being uh, being help being given. There's very there's very little forms of it, and most of it's just like medication therapy, which is. I gotta tell you, it's pretty rough um, in a, in a place like that. You re- if if you're gonna be in in a place uh, a behavioral health center like that, you want more than um, medication therapy. Uh, you need group. You need one on one therapy. You need group therapy. You need activities. You need uh, things like um, life skills training. Uh, especially if you're there for some sort of um, psychotic disorder, like you, if you're going to to leave there, eventually you're going to need some training on how to manage um, this new disorder that you find yourself in, or or deal with um, the bipolar depression, or um, deal with um, a major anxiety like agoraphobia, or um, some really like impactful OCD or something like that or PTSD, you know, you you should be getting the training uh, and counseling that you need and not just what what you see in this movie. Of course, like I said, it's in service of the other part of the plot. Hey, listener, thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod, rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop, and or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. (laughs) 
Now, the psychopathology uh, that I would teach in this, in the first half of the movie, is um, related to trauma-induced schizophrenia. So, schiz- uh, so acute schizophrenia um, or reactive schizophrenia in this case. And this kind of schizophrenia can occur at any age to uh, an individual and generally, uh, well, obviously marked by a break from reality. Um, hallucinations, delusions, other positive symptoms. Uh, In this case, uh, Sawyer, uh, the main character, only presents with some positive, uh, what what seems to be positive symptoms of schizophrenia. But it occurs after a traumatic experience, which is the case for this kind of schizophrenia. Um, Early in the film, as I mentioned, she is, uh, she hallucinates a different face on somebody she takes home after meeting them in a bar. And um, she immediately ditches this guy at, in her own apartment, goes to the bathroom and has a breakdown. Um, we could find out later because she goes and seeks some help that she was stalked. So while I was fantasizing about being the savior who would pull his father back to clarity, David was having his own fantasies. He would want us to be together. Okay, let's talk about Sawyer Valentini in Boston, year zero. Um, Obviously, I would recommend sensors on all your doors and windows, and I would swap the terrace doors out for a steel cord door. Um, Update your deadbolts. Uh, I want to talk to you about situational awareness, okay? Where's the nearest police station? Where's the nearest fire station? These are things that should always be right on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, parking. Um, I know you have parking in the rear of the building with a back entrance. I'm going to ask you not to use that anymore. I know it's convenient, but I I would advocate selling your car and using a ride service. If you can't or won't do that, uh, I would say park on the street, preferably under a light source, uh, and come back and walk through this this courtyard here where people can see you. With your keys in your hand, by the way. You want your keys always in your hand. You don't want to be digging around in your purse in the dark for your keys. Um, and I'll talk to you about and help you with a go bag, you know, just uh, cash, credit cards, uh, change of clothes, flashlight charger, that kind of thing, a firearm. If, you, if you're uh, open to that idea of purchasing and registering a firearm and learning how to use it, think about altering your routine uh, when you go to work, when you leave work, um, that kind of thing. How about social media? Are you on any social media accounts? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but my account's private. Right. Okay. That's that's no good because he'd be able to, uh, you know, figure out a friend of yours from marching band or uh, a sorority sister and 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 go get photos from them, create a bogus account, and then try to friend you that way. Your friends know your email. Just that's enough. Just delete the Facebook today, um, and then talk to your friends. You know, be open about this. Inform them what's going on. Tell them not to mention you. Don't tag you on Instagram. You know. Uh, um, you know, baby showers or, or uh, you know, Chardonnay day with the girls or, you know, whatever it is. If there's someone's taking a picture, you do whatever you can to get out of it. All right. And think of your cell phone as your enemy and this your new best friend. But we don't find out who this stalker is or why he's stalking her until later in the movie. Because Steven Soderbergh wants you to believe that some of the things that she is seeing aren't actually there. And even the tagline of the movie, 
or the the brief blurb, as I should say, um, confronted by her greatest fear. But is it a real or a uh, product of her delusion? So the idea is that she's being um, she's being held at this behavioral health center because she believes that she is being stalked. Right. That's the delusion. That's the false belief that she's being stalked. Um, and I, I love it too because it says involuntary committed to a mental institution. It's it's not it's not a mental institution, uh, but it's she's also not involuntarily committed, so to speak. She's voluntary, and then they lie to her. Uh, voluntarily committed, and then they lie. So I mean that's that's different there. But Steven Soderbergh at the beginning, uh, in the you know the first half of this movie or the first third of the movie, wants you to think that she is unwell in some ways and i mentioned that uh uh that the filmography the cinematography um not the filmography i'm sorry that's a list of films <laughs> the, the cinematography in this movie is uh, on purpose there's a lot of dutch angles which uh if you're not familiar dutch angles are sort of off kilter they're not level with a person's uh eye line they're off kilter um, sort of at a uh, 45-ish degree angle. These Dutch angles represent um, uh, reality being askew. And there are a lot of close-ups, a lot of tight shots of Claire Foy's face, and especially at these Dutch angles. And um, it's supposed to make you feel uneasy. It's supposed to make you feel like you are uh, – there is something wrong – um, there's something wrong with with uh, with her and her character, um, something wrong with her mind. And that's supposed to make you feel uneasy, anxious. And 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 so this is a, a common trick used, uh, especially in therapy sessions where you have a tight uh, shot of somebody's face and you're just like, well, what's the rest of their body doing? And it's just like you can see all the micro changes in um in somebody's face and this is where uh, a real good actor can really separate themselves from just you know mediocre acting we'll say because if they know they're going to be um shot at this very tight tight um angle um and close up that they have to actually feel the emotions in their face and they have to actually let those emotions change their micro expressions sort of on an uh, on a, a implicit and an unconscious level. And that's how you find that that's how you separate really good acting, um, in my opinion, is uh, being able to detect those being able to detect those those uh, micro expressions and really, really get the sense that uh, something is something is wrong and we don't know what is wrong uh, on the face of it. Yeah, you start to think that, okay, maybe her stalker isn't real because um, there's one exchange um, during her first night in this group home where she tries to get out and um, they think she's being unruly and disruptive. Uh, and so she tries to leave and um, we see uh, somebody who 
has the same face that she hallucinates come barging into the door and she gets accosted by this person and she punches him in the face, which I think is awesome. But it turns out it's a different guy. It's the guy who earlier went through her bag and put all of her stuff into a um, into a plastic bag. She thinks it's her stalker. We come to find out that her stalker is apparently at the um, at working a job at the behavioral health center, and it turns out that he's playing a different guy and he's doing a really good job of pretending to be this other guy. No. No way. You can't be anywhere near me. This won't work. The Boston cops have got a record of the restraining order. I hope following me all the way here was worth it because you're going to jail. Move out. George Shaw? Is that what you're calling yourself? This man is called David Strine. And he's been following me and calling me and texting me and showing up at my job and breaking into my fucking house. Take your meds and move on. No. I'm not going anywhere until the cops haul his ass into jail. George, did you do or say anything to provoke the patient? Stop calling him that. His name is David. He's followed me all the way here from Boston. I've never even been to Boston. I am a Sox fan. You're a fucking liar. I want my phone. I've saved all the text messages that you sent me, all the really, really sick ones. Do you remember, David? No. All the ones where you said you'd kill yourself so you couldn't have me. You're crazy. Maybe I should go back to the other ward. Not doing any good here. No one is fucking buying this trying. And Claire Foy immediately recognizes him and she thinks, okay, maybe this is a, a hallucination. And this stalker guy, played by Joshua Leonard, is real. So about halfway through the movie, we find out that no, he's actually real. He got a job there because he is still stalking her. And she wasn't hallucinating. Yes. Um, but he wants to keep the ruse going. So the facility keeps her there involuntarily, you know, ignoring her pleas to leave. Um, and he ends up giving her um, a hallucinogenic. I don't know exactly what he gives her. It seems like it might be MDMA or 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 some sort of um pcp or or whatever i'm not entirely sure what he gives her in the evening medication line um but she ends up having a a sort of out of body experience um and the way uh steven soderbergh uh, does this was really good um so <clears throat> he basically puts a camera rig on her back and makes her walk around the one of the common rooms and um, so essentially what we're seeing is the back of her head like moving back and forth um, very awkwardly and uh, and and then he adds in layers upon layers of that. So we sort of get these um, transparent images of her going back and forth, back and forth. Um, 
and she's just tripping out, trying saying things um, that are incoherent, and she has to get put into a she has to get put into her bed and under restraints, and eventually she falls asleep and wakes up. And it's like what happened or whatever. And uh, Jay Farrow's character comes over and and um, uh, tells her that you know she had a uh, she was tripping out and everything. And uh, but he mentions that he believes her. So she gets a hold of her mom and um, tries to get her mom to come out here. And uh, so here's here comes the 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 real psycho um, pathological uh, exploration in this movie. It's not that Claire Foy's character is um, pathological. Um in the sense that uh, she, in the sense that she has, you know, schizophrenia or some other psychotic disorder, she does, I would say, have PTSD from being stalked, and we we learn the backstory about that, um, sort of two thirds into it, and she she explains who the stalker is to Jay Farrow's character. Uh, so she, I would say that that is a good exploration of um, violence against women, and uh, even when there's no actual sexual assault but this does tie in to the kind of behavior that um kirsten bachman and i a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about 50 shades of gray that um yeah this kind of stalking behavior is relationship violence and um this guy this guy really reflects uh uh, the amount of of trauma that somebody could um, could face when being stalked by somebody who is that obsessed. Now, this guy, again played by Joshua Leonard, his name is David David Strine. He's got the real psychopathology in the film. He's got obsessive, obsessive psychosis he believes that the kindness that um sawyer gave to him when his father died when they when she was um volunteering at uh a a local um uh, old folks home the kindness that she showed him he misinterpreted as feelings and he just kind of latched onto her and just didn't did not want to let go and so he found out that she got uh committed to this place and uh ended up killing a dude taking his identity acting as him preying on the fact that uh she's you know, being uh, misinterpreted, not listened to by the administrators and the doctors here because they're running a, an insurance scheme. I mean, it all it all seems very you know th- run of the mill um, thriller at this point. Uh, but um, yeah, he's he's got an, an, an enormous obsession, and even when. He um, gets her into the padded uh, isolation room. Beautiful. So here we could be 
happy. We will, we will, we will, we will be happy. We will never be happy. You could never make me happy. Look at where we are, David. Look at what you've done. There is no path to happiness from here. For either of us. Sawyer, I've seen you. I, I, I watched you at work. I've seen you with your friends. You're not happy. You just, you just float through life and nothing ever touches you. And you try, you try really hard to fit in. I've seen that. But, but you can't, you can't. Because there's a piece missing. And you're what's missing. Why not? I fucking hate you, is why. You don't know the first thing about me. How can you say that? We spent months together. No. You were in the same room while I talked to your father because you had nothing to say to him. He didn't even know I was there. Yeah, well, he was your father. And you couldn't think of two words to say to him. You keep saying that you love me, but you're not capable of loving anybody. Losing his mind was the best thing that could have happened to him. Do you think he'd be proud of you? How you've turned out? What? What? Too mean? Not the girl you love? You don't fucking know me! I do! Well then love me like this, David! Love me like this! Love me when I'm a bitch! Love me when I cheat! Love me when I shut down! Love all the shit about me! That's not you. That's what trying to make yourself like everybody else in the world has done to you. Really? You're a fucking simpleton. Do you know that? You are a fucking dunce. That sweet, kind girl in your head? That's not me. Can I ask you a question, David? Who did this to you? Who rejected you? Did she let you down easy? Hmm? I'm flattered, Dave, but I don't want to ruin our friendship. Did she ghost you? Hmm? Did she block your number? Did she unfriend you on Facebook? Vanish from your life? Or was it worse? <gasps> Did she look like she was going to be sick? Hmm? Did she laugh in your face? Did she tell all her friends? No, because I'm telling you, David, that's me. That's what I would have done. That's what I did. That's who you love. That's who you fucking dream of. That's who you've been stalking for the past two years. Am I everything you'd hoped I'd be, David? Hmm? Is this what you imagine when you dream of us living in your fucking cabin? Two years. Two years, David. What a waste. What a fucking waste. You could have met someone else in that time. You know? People are pretty pathetic. Child killers get visits from women who see the good in them. Someone who loves a child killer might be able to see some good in you because no one else could. No one else could, David. She just 
calls him the worst names and that he's pathetic and worthless. And he's just, I know you don't, I know you don't believe that. And um, all of these very, very creepy um, phrasing and, 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 and other things. And it, you just think to yourself, oh my goodness. Um, how's this guy getting away way with this? And he's just a he's just a smooth talker. He was able to do this kind of stuff by you know just being a believable white dude is really what I want to really what I want to say. And he just wants to have this woman with him, and she's just like, no, I don't want to, and. You know, spoiler alert here, she does uh she does eventually get get the um one up on him and eventually uh and eventually kills him. But you know, that trauma's not gonna go away super quick. She's able to uh get past all of the trauma at this place, but she's not gonna be able to get past this this trauma um without you know, actual really deep therapy because even at the end scene, she thinks that um, a guy at the restaurant she's at is this person she thought she murdered and, um, to you know, to get away from him. She doesn't murder him, you know, just for funsies, but she murders him because he's trying to murder or she's trying, she basically, he basically murdered her mom. I called that um, right at the beginning. Like, as soon as this guy comes to the mother's hotel room, I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, she's dead. Um, We find that out as well. Uh, And and, and so she thinks this guy in the restaurant is her stalker. And then she has a... A moment of just utter despair and and leaves the restaurant quickly. And then the last still of the movie is her looking back. And it's just like, okay, this is what stalking behavior does to women. This is sexual violence, even without the act of sex involved. This is violence. And it, it affects a lot of women. Stalking in general affects a lot of women and the trauma of being being watched either actively being watched or thinking that you're being watched um is traumatic it it, it's bad uh you know apologies for the lack of eloquence here but you kind of it, it kind of feels like For a person watching on the outside, it kind of feels like the person is maybe, you know, breaking with reality, which I can I I can understand the um, initial. Reach out for help that this clinic gives, but honestly, that turns into something much greater. Um, And I think this is where the story sort of breaks down. The story kind of breaks down when um, you apply the regular run-of-the-mill 
uh, thriller tropes to this, the stalker thriller tropes. I think the far more compelling part of the movie is the beginning and, like I said, the cinematography, the um, sort of guessing that you're left with. Uh, Unfortunately, it sort of goes down into the mediocre part of storytelling in in sort of the last half, last third of the movie. So takeaways from the movie that um, I would use in 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 teaching here would be um, relationship violence and stalking behavior, as as uh, as well as a, a, a obsessive psychosis. Uh, so psychosis mixed with um, the illusion that somebody um, has feelings with uh, feelings for you, and so you go to the the to any lengths to um, get that perfect, get that perfect uh, idyllic life um, with a partner that you think is willing, but on on in reality is is definitely not willing. Of course, not willing at all. And so that that's what I would explore first and foremost. The second bit, even though I talked about it first, the second thing that I would talk about is um, you know how mental health is still characterized in, and um, approached in this country, and just the just the small aspect of it that is rooted in this, um, we'll say cynicism, um, where there are organizations. Uh, behavioral health organizations that are only out, only out there to milk you um, uh, out of your insurance money, and then as soon as your your insurance won't pay anymore, they they put you out on the street. Uh, John Oliver had a um, really interesting main story about this on last week tonight, a couple of years ago, um, and I think he's done a couple of times um, with respect to. The opioid crisis, but then um, in in just behavioral health in general, and uh, the the rehab clinics that are out in like Arizona or Malibu, California, um, that sort of play up this whole like, hey, come stay with us, and you can get your behavioral your your addiction squared away at this lovely facility, and they you know they go all out in advertising. But generally speaking, you're there for 30 days, and you get barely any training, uh, you get barely any counseling, and it's essentially like, no, we're going to take away your phone and all those good things that we told you about. Ah, no, we can't get to them today. Sorry, we we're not going to go take a field trip or we're not going to do this really fun thing. And yeah, you can enjoy the pool, but you know, the pool doesn't really get cleaned uh, like it should. And it's just like uh, super bait and switch uh, sort of situation. And, and, and that's what I think that first part of the movie is, is uh, first part of unsane is, is playing on is this idea of these clinics that are for profit, um, even though they sort of represent themselves as nonprofit, um, but really what they're trying to do is milk your insurance company for all it's worth when you seemingly have some sort of problem that would require maybe perhaps being institutionalized for, I don't know, a week to 30 days, so on and so forth. So, I mean, 
those two aspects I would play with um, as far as using this as a teaching tool. Like I said, it was an enjoyable movie, even though it does become kind of tropey toward the end. Um, it was an enjoyable movie, uh, mainly for its cinematography. I wish I could like clip together um, movies that maybe have basic psychopathology aspects to them, but they use the camera really well to sort of throw the viewer off the uh, the scent, so to speak, uh, to mess with. Uh, to mess with lighting, to mess with, you know, tightness of, of shot. And uh, the, like I said, the Dutch angles, that that in and of itself, if I were to use, if I were to describe how to make somebody as uneasy as the main character in a movie, it would be these cinematography techniques and these directorial techniques uh and that's the i would say that's the takeaway from this movie i mean there are plenty of movies about stalkers of course um and there are plenty of movies about actual schizophrenia um but this one this one i think does a good job of blending sort of the real world aspect of of american healthcare and american mental health care with a uh, a bait and switch kind of uh, psych thriller. Is she is she mentally unwell? Is she not mentally unwell? You know what's the trauma? Oh, it's this other guy that's mentally unwell. Okay, I get it. So that's the sort of um, that's the sort of idea that this film carries with it. Um, I don't it, it, like I said. It's it's it, if you want a movie that um, makes you super angry for all sorts of healthcare reasons like oh my god that's not how you treat patients oh that's not how you treat human beings oh my god they're just giving them medication and they're not telling them what they are oh my god that doctor is really awful oh my god that administrator is like the worst person in the world so on so on so on oh my god that stalker is the absolute worst we really feel for you, Sawyer. We really feel for you, Claire Foy. She does a great job in this movie, and that, uh, that, and 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 that's all you can ask for in one of these kinds of. Uh, I guess I'll call it an indie movie. Um, so yeah. And that, folks, is insane. Those are my thoughts on Unsane. Again, you can catch it on Prime if you're wa um, watching. Uh, watching. If you're listening to this recently, it's probably going to be on Prime for a while. Uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, but if not, try to catch it somewhere else. Um, came out in 2018, so it should be easy to find somewhere else. If not on Prime. Do remember to catch us on Facebook, Twitter. All the places, I guess those are the two places. Uh, thank you again to the Society for the Teaching of Psychology for granting our little podcast here uh, some love for the next year as we look at um, expanding this audience. Please do share this uh, this uh, podcast, this podcast episode, the pod your favorite episode with somebody. Uh, as the mid-roll said, you know, five of your friends were trying to grow the audience. And uh, the idea here is to get to a point where, again, like I said, in my mid-career life, I am considered that 
film and psych guy. That's the goal. Thank you for listening to this uh, fairly disjointed episode, uh, solo episode. I don't know how well the solo episodes do compared to the ones with guest hosts, but I appreciate you listening to this point of the episode. And in any case, until the next one, thanks for listening. 